The following message is presented by Bayou Vista Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.bvbch.org. Now the message. Well, if you have your Bible with you, please join me. Um, smart device, whatever, but I encourage you uh, to try to keep a copy of God's Word with you on Sunday morning. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, which will be where we spend about 65 to 75% of our time, and then in chapter 28 and verse 1. Well, this past week we continue to indulge in the Cajun lifestyle. Let's see, we've had crawfish, crabs that we caught in the backyard, and I hope those are the ones you eat, um, and I hope it's legal, but we ate them. Alligator, shrimp, hush puppies, and I've had all that this week, and then I had to double up on my blood pressure medicine and my <laughs> cholesterol medicine. So I don't know if I'm going to outlive this Cajun stuff, but you folks must be tough anyway. Well, if you're happy and you know it, say amen. Amen. It is a beautiful Easter Sunday morning, and I've heard it often referred to as our Super Bowl, but I'd tell you, Super Bowl ain't got nothing on what we got. So if you're there, I want to ask you to to run along with me this morning. I want to hear some amen, some excitement, because the tomb is empty. Well, if you're there in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, I'm going to ask you to stand out of recognition for his infallible, inerrant word, serving as the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. And it says in his word, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now we know the next few verses, and let's go to 28. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. Notice that Jesus escaped the tomb with the stone still there. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the the women, Oh, don't be afraid. Because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Now did they not know or have they not heard that Jesus was supposed to raise on this third day? So why would they go with the, the spices? to prepare his dead body if they believed he was going to rise. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. Let us pray. Lord God, we come to you this morning humbled before your eternal throne, recognizing your power, your glory, your love, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, I pray this morning your people, the saints, would be encouraged and inspired to live in your righteousness through your power by our time together, that in no way would shame be encouraged, but Lord, may you by the Holy Spirit convict 
and align our lives to your truth and your commands. Well, what a beautiful story. What a painful story. What a glorious story. And it is in the name of the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, in the name of the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Interesting in the Greek, when Jesus is referred to, it's often ton insuos Christos, which means the Jesus Christ. I love that definite article. And when it refers to this in these circumstances, it says ton theon anthropon insuos Christos, which means the God-man, Jesus Christ. So we're going to investigate that a little bit this morning. What did it mean for Jesus to be all God and all man? And first, I want to get into what I think we have to start is what demanded the sacrifice. We know that God, in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all, came, all things came through Him, right? And so from Right, Eternity passed. We need to catch this. Jesus was not created. Do you understand that? Say amen. Jesus has always been. Some denominations and some little sects of Christianity and um, other religions will teach that Jesus became God at His baptism. No, Jesus was God at His incarnation, which means the point at which He was sent to become a man. If you understand and agree with that, say amen. Because we can't go no farther together until you got that, All right, There's some things that you can't compromise. I would say all things in Scripture are not worthy of compromise. Do you agree with that? Say amen. I'm telling you, I'm going to wear you out. You better get that amen already. Quit thinking about, you know what I'm thinking about a little bit? Them little butterfingers that go in them, them Easter eggs. They're just perfect, you know? And the, the good thing about the peanut, the butterfinger is it sticks a little bit so you can enjoy it for a little bit of time. You're thinking about it now. Okay. So I want us to go back to, so in the beginning, the Godhead, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit created the universe. It did not evolve. He spoke it into existence. If you agree with that and believe that with all your heart, say amen. And he looked at it and he saw that it was good, right? Now we also need to see, and we often, a lot of our folks have Right, suffered from depression and anxiety and hardship, turmoil. And now we need to, to remember God created us to live forever. God did not create our minds to even process death or loss. You see, that's foreign to our nature. It's foreign to our being. We were created to have fellowship with the Almighty for all of eternity in the Garden of Eden. But no, we didn't like that idea, did we? God created man to have fellowship. The Bible tells us that every evening God would come down and would inhabit a physical fellowship with Adam. And then we know that in the garden there was one tree that they could not eat from. Can you tell me what tree that was? The knowledge of good and evil. Because at this point all we knew was good. Well, Adam and Eve went and looked at it and they saw. Now, I love the way they justified their sin. This is a process we all do. It says they went and looked at the fruit and they considered it. They thought about it. And they said, hey, hey, Adam, that looks like it'd be good to eat. 
Well, I know what Adam said. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Right? Well, Adam went along with it because Eve decided and, and he saw that while God had said that you can do anything, just don't eat of this one thing. Don't do this one thing. But they took a process of justifying sin. Now, what seems so simple, it was just a fruit. Just a simple fruit. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. And then we had the serpent there, right, taunting. And the serpent did not lie. He told him, if you eat, you'll be like God. And in some capacity, he was right. And we're still playing the same game. Because we still have forbidden fruits in our life. We know God said, don't do this. We know God said, no porn. We know God said, no drugs. We know God said, no affairs. But then we see a fruit. And we begin a process, oh, surely God didn't mean. Or maybe I can just, friend, the minute you start entertaining sin is the minute you start preparing to do it. Do you understand? It's a process. So Adam and Eve got caught up. The serpent misled. And the same thing the serpent, the evil one, does to, for us today. But we need to understand at that point when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, right? They were kicked out of the garden even. Even. Eden. Right? And not to have that fellowship that direct fellowship until Jesus. So, we need to understand why we got here and how we got here. And the scripture says, and many may say, well, Adam and Eve may have done that, but I didn't eat of the fruit. Well, friend, have you sinned in any capacity? And scripture says, for all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. So we've all participated in dining on the forbidden fruit. And thus, the punishment, the wages of sin is. But the gift of God is. But it says, the wages of sin is death. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see the sacrificial system on display. And if you've ever taken the time to read it, and sometimes it's, it's kind of long reading. And it seems so foreign to us that they would take an animal in to the temple and the priests would dissect the animal. And there was a procedure to do with every part of it. The blood, the head, the brain, the heart, the intestines, all of it. Because Satan, and this is what you need to understand, Satan doesn't, sin doesn't just destroy a little bit. Satan destroys completely. Do you understand? Sin doesn't come into your life just to preserve a little space. Sin comes in your life to consume the whole. And so, righteousness declared complete death. God's wrath against sin, and you say, well, God is love. Oh, yes, He is love, and we'll see that in a moment. But sin affected, it infected everything He intended. The beauty of marriage and the, the relationship, the covenant that a man and woman is supposed to have throughout a lifetime is infected with impurity. Drugs, alcohol, destroy the beauty of life and what God intended. But it all started, right? Let's go back to a conversation entertaining the presence of evil. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see God's wrath poured out on unrighteousness. Now, 
Scripture says in the prophecy that there would be a Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So when we read about the crucifixion, I think there's a lot of things we kind of skip over. And there, there was a movie a few years ago, and I, I hope you've seen it. Um, but it, it, it carried out the most historically accurate picture. So first, I wanted you to see the debt we owed. And friend, if you sinned, you are separated from God for all of eternity without the person of Jesus Christ. I can't change that. It infected me too. And Jesus Christ was the cure. So we all come here on equal terms. And you say, well, I don't know about that. Yes, you do. Or you wouldn't waste your time in the exercise of worship this morning. You wouldn't be here in some capacity. You didn't believe that God's word was true. This would be a futile exercise. So sometimes it's a matter of us being honest with ourselves. See, when we're kids, we can pretend, can't we? We can play games and create fictitious realities for us to exist in for small amounts of time. And do you know how hard it is for me to pretend with the kids? I like to think I'm patient, which I'm not. But the boys used to be, hey, Dad, you want to pretend? What are we pretending? Well, we could pretend we're superheroes. Okay. What am I supposed to do to pretend to lift cars? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do? You know, at some point in your life, you've got to come to terms with reality. And reality is, it is we're all created in the image of our Creator. We all know it's true. We all know sin is evil. But we've negotiated. We've negotiated ourselves into a predicament. Let's go. Got to move a little bit quicker, folks. I know every, mamas and grandmas got cro- stuff in the crock pot. You got stuff in the crock pot rolling? Let me see that hand. We got two families that are eating today. Um, <laughs> the rest of you guys are having turkey and peanut butter and jelly and butterfingers. Just swing by Walmart and use some butterfingers. Number one, the debt we owed. Number two, the price we paid. So we see in the Old Testament, through aspects of his creation, God's wrath on sin. And friend, God has a right to hate sin. Do you understand? It is His right. It is His position. Because sin, evil, is His opposition. So, when you come to study the crucifixion, one of my teenagers, I guess about 20 years ago, decided we were studying the crucifixion in our youth group, and he decided he wanted to make a cat of nine tails. And so he and I got together, and this is not absolutely historically accurate. Neither one of us had any money, and leather was expensive, and this is all we could buy. He carved that out of an old old tree, kind of stump piece. But friend, the, the idea about the Romans and crucifixion, not people understand, is they were experts in torture. So what they would do would take prisoners and dissect them alive and identify what organs someone could live out without for a certain amount of time. So how much could they destroy the human body and the heart still function? So when they got a hold of Jesus Christ, now the cat of nine tails normally didn't kill anyone. What killed someone was the bucket of goat's blood 
that was placed on the roof for weeks or months before the cat of nine tails. And so that cat of nine tails would be dipped in what would be a poisonous infection. And so you would be septic days after, and the infection would kill anyone, any cat of nine tails that was dipped in that bucket. So his death was imminent regardless of what was going to happen, but that's not what killed him. Now, this is one of the most interesting things I've ever studied. But what would happen, that they would wrap, and if you've seen, right, Red studied, and these are Roman soldiers. These aren't little men. The cat of nine tails would have been longer. And at the end were often molten lead, which would have pieces of glass and small nails. And so when they would hit him, that would pierce. And the idea was that was a cutting mechanism. So these men, once that stuck, they would give it all they've got. And the idea was to disembowel the individual. So when scripture says he was beaten beyond the recognition of a man, we often think he had black eyes and bloody lips. No, his intestines were on the outside. He literally would have been holding himself together. So why did he need help carrying the cross? If you're bent over and all that lining, all those membranes are torn, everything comes out. And so with one arm, he would have been holding his intestines in. And then on a bare back, with no skin, all seven layers destroyed, that rugged, splintery cross. It wasn't sanded. No. That would have been placed on his raw muscle and bone for him to carry. And so sure, a man saw. What a man. And people say, well, maybe he was. No. If there was ever a man, it was Jesus Christ. And let's keep going. So we often think that it was the cat of nine tails that killed him. Maybe it was infection from the blood. Maybe it was the pain of the nails and or maybe we've often been taught that once the nails were placed in just the body and the way he was hung would have suffocated and compressed his lungs no he didn't have enough time for that so that wasn't how he died either this morning i'm going to propose something that is most consistent with scripture you remember in the garden when he was praying god if it be possible let this cup pass from me he wept or cried of blood. So his blood pressure would have been high enough for the capillaries in his eyes to begin to burst. So let's think what's happening. Jesus has been preparing for eternity, right? Since the fall of mankind, and in his foreknowledge would have known from eternity past. He's God. And when God became man, he only gave up the necessary attributes of deity to walk among this earth. He gave up, for instance, omnipresence. Jesus could no longer be everywhere at one time. But did he lose his understanding and his knowledge of everything? No. But he was consolidated to one place at one time. And so there in the garden, he was beginning to show what a man would feel. Anxiety 
fear. Well, fear? Do you not think Jesus in some... Well, fear's not of God. Friend, there's a fear where you create a reality, and then there's a fear where you recognize a reality. And that's not dishonorable. So Jesus here was understanding, Lord, I'm about to have to do something. If there's any way, there's just any way I could escape that, Lord. this Because he already knew the pain. He'd already seen it. And we know that God did not remove that cup, and Jesus began to weep with blood. So what was happening was a process. A process that Jesus would not survive. So he was placed on the cross, and here comes into play. Jesus is there, and, and he had had a perfect relationship with his Father from, again, eternity past. Nothing had separated the presence, the, the knowledge sharing, the love, the grace, the mercy, the intention, the plan. Nothing had separated them. And Jesus knew once he got on that cross that the wrath of God must be poured out on him. And just like those Old Testament animals that were disemboweled and disfigured, so was the body of our Jesus. And so for the first time when the earth quaked and when the sun became darkness, Jesus cried out, Lama, Lama, Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, where are you? My Father, where are you? Where is that relationship we've always had? And in his manhood, he had to wonder for just a moment, God, is it over? Now, it says that Jesus died. And then we read in other, other Gospels, the other accounts, that they offered Jesus, right, vinegar and, and gall, wine and gall, and, and he refused it. So he hadn't had anything to drink, and all the liquid had pretty much left his body. What was really intriguing is after he died, now catch this, after he died when his side was punctured, what did it say came out? Water and blood. Water and blood had filled the sack around his heart. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but in Dr. Jeff Hamby's book, which is seven, I think $6.99 if you want to download it on your Kindle, or $6.99 if you'd like to order it, and it's one of the most brilliant accounts I've ever read. He proposes that Jesus died from what is called a stress cardiomyopathy, also called broken heart syndrome. It's real. That Jesus, for the first time, it wasn't the cross, it wasn't the crown, it wasn't the poison in the blood, it wasn't the spikes. It wasn't su suffocation. What it began in the garden with tears falling of blood ended on the cross when God the Father turned His face and the wrath of sin was poured out. Jesus' heart was broken. Broken for you. Broken for me. Broken. It said His body would be bruised and His bones would be he died of a heart attack because of pain and distress. Now, I want to go on just for a few moments. Number three, the promises he keeps. If any of you kids, just don't, don't hit your mom and your dad or your brother and sister with it. But if you guys want to come up and check that out afterwards, please feel free. 
So we have Jesus who's died again. All, all medical indicators are from a heart attack, a broken heart. Now physically, you would have assumed a number of things. But medically, all the indicators are toward that. And so we know they, right, they took him off the cross. They placed him in a tomb. And Jesus said, in how many days I'm going to rise again? Three. So each day, the girls would go and take care of his body. And then the Roman government decided... Right? Hey, now he said he'd rise again, so he's probably going to have his disciples come and take his body. So we better get ready for that. So they rolled a stone in front of the tomb. Now, Jesus had made some claims. I think we need to go back a little bit and look at Jesus' life. You see, Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus wasn't just God. He was the God-man. And so when we go back, we see that Jesus was man enough to be born. Now listen, he was God enough to spoke the universe into existence. You see, friends, he was man enough to be misplaced when he was a little boy in the temple, right? But he was God enough to teach the priests and the teachers what God's word really said. You see, friend, he was man enough to be baptized by John the Baptist, but man enough, God enough to say, I am the living water. Come on, folks, I ain't letting you go till you get excited about Jesus Christ. You got it? Butter, fingers, crock pot, Easter eggs, you name it. That's all of the moves I got, folks. He was man enough to be tossed by the waves. But God enough there in the boat to say, peace be still. You see, friend, he was man enough to be tempted in fasting by the evil one with bread. But he was God enough to say, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He was man enough. Oh, he was man enough to be there in the garden and to weep and to ask the Father to allow this cup to pass from me. But he was man enough, God enough, to go to that crucifixion, to take on the sins and the shames, the guilt of the world, and give you an opportunity for a life and a victory in Jesus Christ. He was man enough. Oh, he was man enough to go to the Last Supper. Oh, he's God enough to say. There's a banqueting table waiting for you in eternity. Oh, he was man enough. Man enough to be arrested, but God enough to set you free. Man enough. Oh, he was man enough. He was man enough to be placed on the cross. God enough to say, I'll raise again. Man enough for his body to be placed. Now, here's another thing. Most beautiful part of the story. One of the aspects to me. Man enough, to, man enough for his body to be placed. Man enough for his body to begin to deteriorate and decay. That's what the spices were for, folks. No one wanted to smell the stench of his rotting body. That's the reality of what's transpiring here. Get it in your head. Live it in your heart. He was dead. So the third day, now, he, Jesus, the Old Testament had prophesied that in three days he would rise, he would rebuild the temple, right? Jesus claimed it many times. To his 
his disciples. Now that third day comes, what's happening? They've, they've known the tomb is closed. And so it's like, Mary, what, what's up, Mary? Nothing much, Mary. How are you today? So Mary, Mary's take the spices and go to take care of his body on the third day. Now catch this. Here they go up the trail. Going to take care of his body on the day. They get up there. They get up there and the angel it startles them because the angel said, don't be afraid. So obviously the response was one of fear, trepidation. And Mary, Mary's were, were astounded. They were surprised by the angel in the tomb. Again, the angel, it says in this passage, the angel come down and roll the tomb away. Jesus did not roll the tomb away. There's no physical power, no physical status, no physical entity, whether it be animate or inanimate, that can contain the spirit and the body of Jesus Christ. He didn't need that, that stone rolled away. No, because he's got enough. But he was man enough. They came to treat his body again out of love and devotion, but doubt. They came to treat his body. Now, it shouldn't have been there, right? But his disciples didn't think he would raise again. They had been living next to him and still did not believe him. They had been living what, what at this point would have been to some capacity a lie. Following him, listening to him, but, but not believing him. The most amazing thing from humanity's aspect in this, this pas these passages is that, listen, God's people were surprised when he kept his promise. Did you get that? God's people were not prepared for Jesus to keep his promise. Well, my Jesus was man enough to die. He was man enough to be buried. He was God enough to raise in three days. And he's God enough to come back. Because he has gone to prepare a place for us that where he is, we may be also. But friend, that's a promise. So as we close, I'm going to ask you to stand. He says he's coming again, and Scripture says, as a thief in the night. Not as a thief to deceive you. Not as a thief to rob you. But as a thief who cannot be predicted, whose opportunity cannot be known or defined, contained. And so, friend, I wouldn't will you to be in that space, in that time, when that trumpet sounds, and the dead in Christ rise first, and then those of us who remain will be called up to meet Him in the air, clouds, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be, ooh, that's surprising. He, he actually came back. See, but the marriage is no different than you and I. Because here, here's, let me, let me, you got to leave with this. You live, every day you live, 
with a lack of repentance, you live with a disbelief. Every day you entertain eating the fruit, you are not expecting him to come back. So friend, the church can't be surprised when God keeps his promises. He's made his promises to you and one is whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, I can't make that any clearer. Now, you're here. Did you believe something about Jesus? Otherwise, you'd be at home thinking the kids and the family's late eating the Butterfingers and their Easter eggs. There's something about it you believe. And so, friend, I don't think I've got to convince you. What I've got to encourage you to do is quit pretending. Right? You're pretending to be the disciples. Mary's were pretending. Pretending that God didn't keep his promises, but he does. And so the church has got to quit pretending. The saints have got to quit pretending. And friend, we've got to start living like God keeps his promises because he friend if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ you say well Eric I'm, I may be new to this church thing I may have been in church all my life and I really never understood what that meant it meant you don't do anything other than to surrender to Jesus Christ and I tell you you say well Eric I want to come to Jesus but there's a few things I need to do first I need to quit my drinking I need to quit my smoking I need to quit my staying up late running around no you listen My Jesus is big enough to handle your sins. So you can let nothing keep you from coming to him. You don't think you think you don't think he can conquer your challenges if he conquered death, hell, and the grave. Quit pretending. It's time to surrender. The preceding message was presented by Bayou Vista Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about Bayou Vista, including contact info, go to the website www.bvbch.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.